Welcome to the Toxin Terminator, helping people to restore and renew their health by removing the toxins from the home and their lives. Join in as industry thought leaders help you understand the physical and emotional effects these products can have on you and your family, and the safe alternatives you can use to remove the hidden toxins for renewed health. Now, please welcome your host, the Toxin Terminator herself, Amy Carlson. And welcome back to the show, everyone. I am so glad that you are tuning in each and every week. And now we're coming to you twice a week. We've got episodes coming out on Mondays and Thursdays. We are so excited to have our next guest here. We are going to be talking about, mm, let's talk about forging masculinity and finding out exactly what that means. We're going to talk about the three things to create a life of mastery. We are going to talk about the neuroscience and neuroplasticity. What does that mean in terms of having a life of mastery? What is it about toxin masculinity? Have you all heard that word yet? Do you know what that means? What are we going to do to reverse that? And how about, I love this quote, you need nothing else but what you already have inside you to create the life you desire. Our next guest is Michael Loria. He is the leading expert helping men achieve a life of mastery. He has over 15 years in the coaching and counseling world. He's featured internationally in podcasts and radio shows. He is a best-selling author. The book is called Forging Excalibur, Rediscovering Your Masculinity. And I just was informed that it is, not only is he a best-selling author, but it was ranked number one for quite some time on the hot new releases. You guys are going to want to go check out that book and we will link it in the show notes. And he is also featured with articles in Coach Magazine in the UK. Michael Laurie, we're so glad to have you here with our audience and cannot wait to share your message. Thank you very much. That was a great introduction and I'm honored to be here. You bet. So I have to let our audience know, as you can hear, Michael Laurie is coming to us from Australia. What part of Australia are you in? I'm in Melbourne, Melbourne, Australia. Okay. Now remind me, is that, were the fires near you or are you north or south of where they were? Uh, south of where most of them were. And thank goodness they've all, most of them are all fizzled out now, which is great because we had some good rain. So yeah, I'm south of where all the fires were and we didn't really get affected down here. Not as much as people in New South Wales, near Sydney and all those kind of areas did. Okay. Well, that's good. I'm glad. I mean, there was so much devastation with those fires. Oh, there really was. Just heart-wrenching to see all of that. But what's exciting when we have guests come on is we're here in the U.S. I'm in Mountain Standard Time is Michael is actually a day ahead of us. <laughs> so, <I just laughs> we talked about so time travel earlier, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, I wonder how that time travel works. But, so talk to us about Forging Excalibur. When did this book launch for you? And tell us why the whole idea behind the book and launching that. Yeah, cool. So Forging Excalibur, the concept probably came about late in 2018 okay. when I first came up with the concept of it. And I'd always wanted to write a book for men, a personal development book for men. And that was very close to my heart because I've been through some stuff as we all have in my lifetime. And I'm 45 now. So my journey as an adult has been challenging in some respects. And so it's always been a passion of mine to really help men along their own journey of discovering who they are and what they're capable of and the fact that they have limitless potential because that was the journey that I've gone on and I'm still on as we all are. Right. Um, and so the inspiration for the book was really birthed from that 
passion to help men. And Excalibur, I chose the you know the title Forging Excalibur because it's just a cool thing. You know, the sword, the, the sword Excalibur, and it's a very masculine symbol. It's a symbol of power, responsibility, and there's a beautiful story associated with that. You know, with the fusion of masculine and feminine in amongst the myth and the legend of Excalibur and how King Arthur came about wielding Excalibur as well. So it's just a beautiful fusion of masculine and feminine. And also when you forge a sword, there's a certain process that a forge, a sword goes through while it's being forged and it gets tipped into the fire and that's all about adversity. And then it comes out and it gets hammered mm. and shaped and folded and crafted. And that's all about the embodiment and the lessons that we learn after going through adversity. And then the sword is put to one side and cooled. But unfortunately, sometimes we don't get to cool Mm -hmm. before we get thrust back into the fire again. And so it was really the inspiration for the book was really around the process of forging a sword and how that's likened to the journey that a man goes through on life through adversity and learning from adversity and becoming a different version of himself at every single stage in the process, which is what a sword does as well. That, uh, that, that is so amazing to me. And, and I'm, you know, here I am a woman and I feel like there's so much out there for us as women in terms of self-help and self-discovery and, you know, being the true woman that we want to be and, you know, that type of thing. And is it much more difficult for men to really delve into, you know, who am I as a man and am I being the man I want to be or am I being what society thinks I need to be? Mm, I think that's a really good point because there's a big question mark over masculinity and what it means to be a man in this day and age. And I think it's very damaging to men. And men really do much better in life in all aspects when they feel like there's a sense of meaning and purpose. And when they don't feel like they have their life has a sense of meaning and purpose, they really fumble around, not really living life consciously and getting into relationships unconsciously and having kids unconsciously and doing things with their days in terms of a job or a career that they don't necessarily enjoy, but they do just to provide for the family because that's traditionally a very masculine role, very, you know, it's a very male-orientated role to provide for the family. And whilst women are more than capable of providing for a family as well, traditionally it's, it's men right. that step out there and fight for the family because from a biological perspective, women are, you know, we can say that women are better equipped than men to be the nurturing influence in children's lives. And so I think that's why the responsibility of not just, well, child rearing and child raising has traditionally gone to women or fallen to women because that's really their zone of genius in many, in most cases. There are some exceptions, but right. in most cases, in most cases, that's the case. And when we go back, you know, millennia, when we go back to hunter-gatherer days, it was the men that went out there and hunted and they were the ones that provided. Right. They went out there, they hunted, they brought the food back to the cave and, the, you know, women looked after children and they cooked the food and prepared it all and men were out there being the hunters, Right. you know, and nothing's really changed because it's inbuilt in our DNA. And so when we have men who are living life unconsciously without purpose and without meaning, it's quite damaging to them and also to their families and society because without that sense of purpose, they don't feel like their life has any meaning. And if you've noticed when a man is on purpose and when he's deeply connected with a purpose and when he's living life intentionally, he's a much better quality person in all areas of life. Right. Have you noticed that? Yes. And I think, you know, you speak of men and absolutely. So we're jumping on to all, you know, different things. So how, how would, you know, the men who are tuning in and they're saying, gosh, you know, 
first of all, I think if you have to think about, am I living a life of purpose? I would say your answer is no. Would you? Sorry, can you repeat that? That was breaking up a little bit. I know we've got a really bad connection. Mm. We'll keep going and hopefully we're doing okay with this. But my question was, if a man is listening to the show and they're thinking to themselves, hmm, am I living my life? Am I in my full purpose, my true purpose here in life? Do Mm. you think that when we've got to question it and when we, you know, pause to think about it, then that answer is probably no? Absolutely. If we have to think about it, we have to question it. The answer is no. And the best way to figure out whether you're living a life which feels purposeful and you feel like you have many in life is to have a look at your results, the results that you're getting and how you feel when you wake up in the morning. When you wake up in the morning, do you feel a sense of dread or disappointment or something negative Mm -hmm. in relation to the day that you're about to face? Or do you wake up and you feel passionate about what you're about to do? And so that's about looking at how we spend our days, the results we're getting, are the results we're getting desirable or are they undesirable? Are we heading towards something? Do we have a goal? Is there an objective? Or are we just doing it the day-to-day mortgage, pay bills and just get on with life? Right. So if that's what we're doing and we don't really enjoy how we spend our days and we're probably not living a purposeful life. All right. So When a man is going about his life, like you described, where you're not getting up and you're excited for the day and driven and feel like that you want, you know, to have excitement in your day, what can he do? You talk about three things to create a life of mastery. Is that what you mean? And that life of mastery is finding that purpose with these three things? Absolutely. It's really about core values having a well-defined purpose and a sense of contribution as well. So they're really the three things that I help men with in different capacities. So really what that means is that when we're deeply connected with a powerful set of core values, and they are, you know, usually three or so core values that are absolutely immovable and immutable. And what that means is there's no person, situation or circumstance that could possibly affect those values at all. Right. Then what that does is it sets up an environment where we can then go, okay, cool. Well, these are my three core values. Okay. And then how can I create a well-defined purpose around that that sees me doing something in my life that I'm passionate about that helps me feel fulfilled mm-hmm. and that contributes to humanity at a high level? Mm. I like that last part because I truly believe that it's not just about what you want out of life, but it's what are, how are you leaving things? How are you leaving behind? What are you contributing? Uh, I love that being a part of that. Yeah, absolutely. And, And look, it's really important for men as well, because we need to have this sense of meaning and purpose in life. And that's where our zone of genius is. That's where we find our zone of genius. And that's where we can really contribute to our families, our relationships, our society and humanity in general. Because one of the things that I ask my clients, one of the very first things up front that I ask my clients, I say to them, is your job, the work that you do day in and day out, how is it improving humanity? Mm. And so it's one of those questions that really gets people thinking a lot more deeply than what they usually do. And that's really around, you know, deeply self-reflecting and saying, well, what do I choose to do with my life? My, you know, 10 to 12 hours a day, including my commute back and forth, is that really contributing to humanity? Or is that just me putting food on the table, paying the bills and the mortgage and trying to be successful? Mm. Oh, that dreaded success word, right? 
It really is. And I talk about this in my book. I believe that we live in an age where we have this toxic success-driven society. I believe we live in this toxic success-driven society where success is really attributed to your level of success is attributed to your monetary wealth, your material possessions, and your societal status. And if you don't have that stuff, then you're not successful. Mm. And that's what society tells us. And so what we have is we have this generation of men or generations of men that are all trying to achieve this level of success that none of them can define. None of them can define this what success means to them. Uh, and so we've got these men that are just charging forward in life and they're trying to become successful, not even knowing what that is. And as they're doing that, they're neglecting what they truly value, which is their family and their relationships. Yeah. And this is why for men to become deeply connected to their core values, they start to then assess their lives and they say, well, is this job, is this career, is this thing that I'm doing every day, is it truly connected to my core values, what I truly value? And if not, maybe I shouldn't be doing it. Wow. That just little bit right there is so powerful. You know, understanding that success isn't money. It isn't being put up on that pedestal. And I like how you tied it into, is my success aligning with my values? Mm. And is my definition of success in alignment with my core values? That's really the question. Yeah. Yeah. Because really what I've found in my research for the book and all my work with men is that men do achieve, most men can achieve this level of success that society tells us that we that is the definition of success but then when they get there you know they go home to an empty house they're lonely you know because their partner has left them because they don't spend any time at home and they're not invested in their relationship their kids don't want to have anything to do with them and they're left feeling very lonely and unfulfilled yeah in life and you know the big wallet and the healthy bank account and the fancy car and the big house just doesn't cut it when you've got no one in your life. Yeah, no one to share that with and no one to be on that life's journey with. Oh, wow, that's pretty Yeah, that's pretty big. One of the other things you talk about in your belief system that the theory things to create a life of mastery is responsibility. Absolutely. You know, talk to us about that because I think I think sometimes that's something that's lost today. Yeah, it really is. We have, again, we talk a little bit about society because we we all seem to buy into what society tells us. And society really talks about blame and finding fault and that nothing, you know, when something goes wrong, the compulsion is to find somebody to blame or find somewhere where we can, you know, find fault or place the blame on somebody else or a situation. And so a common thing around that is when someone loses their job, they will always blame their boss or they'll always blame the environment at work. And when a relationship ends, they will always blame the other person. She did this or he did that or he didn't do the right thing or she wasn't whatever. Mm -hmm. And when we start to change our thinking a little bit, because what that does when we think in terms of blame and fault, we're not taking responsibility for changing our results. So what we'll do is we will go and find another job And then we'll create the same outcome there. And that'll be another boss that's done the wrong thing by us. Or we'll get into a new relationship and that will end as well for usually the same reasons or similar reasons, but it's still that other person's fault. And so we're not empowering ourselves to create different results because we're not taking responsibility for our outcomes. And so when we start to take what I call in the book, 100% ultimate responsibility, what that really means is that we are 
regardless of the situation, regardless of what's happening, we're starting to say to ourselves, well, I helped to co-create this experience and this outcome simply by virtue of the fact that I was involved in it. Right. And so, so that means that I must take some level of responsibility. And how about instead I take 100% responsibility because then I can ensure that I deeply self-reflect and look at how I helped to co-create that experience so that I don't create the same results the next time I get a new job or the next time I step into a new relationship. That is huge. And, you know, one of the things that I teach and coach people about is the five pillars of living a toxin-free lifestyle. And the fifth pillar is mental. And in my opinion, is one of the biggest pillars that we deal with because if we don't change our mindset here, we're talking about responsibility. And I would say that those are toxic thoughts. When we're looking at everything outside of us being the problem, that's a toxic thought. And we need to change the mindset. We need to change the message that we're giving ourselves to something that's more positive in that personal responsibility. So we can create a different reality by changing the mindset. Exactly. And the other aspect to this as well is that when we start to think bigger than ourselves, Mm -hmm. we will automatically create different results. Mm -hmm. Because when we stop being so success orientated and so selfish in regards to how we're thinking, then what we will do instead is we will be thinking on the scale of contribution and being more humanity orientated instead. And that's when we start to do different things and we start to create different results because we're coming, you know, we're we're behaving in a certain way that is of service to others instead of (laughs) self-serving. I love that. I like to call that a servant's heart. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I think if more of us lived with a servant's heart, and that doesn't mean it's a self-denying way to be, but it's also in service of others because that's, I really believe that We're all here for a purpose and our purpose should be connected with some level of service to others. Yeah. I feel like living in a servant's heart is the best way of being, I don't want to call it self-serving, but sometimes your biggest reward is what you feel and how it creates such a different outlook and feeling about yourself when you live that way. Exactly. Mm. Totally agree. Love that. Totally agree. And, you know, one of the things, as I sort of mentioned before, I talk to people all the time is, is your job and your work improving humanity? Mm-hmm. Because people think so small yes. and they're so success orientated. So if they start to think on the scale of contribution and humanity orientated thoughts and feelings instead and start to ask themselves a different question. So is what you do contributing to humanity And is it likely to help raise human consciousness? Mm. And if the answer is no, then maybe you need to think about doing something else. I love that. I love that. So another thing that you talk about is, you know, your work with neuroscience and neuroplasticity, which, you know, obviously I know neuro is of the brain and the mind, Mm. but talk to us about how that is, you know, in connection with the mind, body and spirit. What are we looking at here? So we're looking at the ability to be able to change the physical structure of our brains simply by practicing different thought patterns on a repetitive basis. Mm. So we know science tells us that we have the ability to basically create different neural pathways in our brain by thinking repetitive things in a different way on an ongoing basis. And so that's really about, so when we think about fear, for instance, 
and we're talking about fear, well, we're fearful of something. And what happens is that if we engage in that fear for long enough, repetitively enough for a long period of time, it actually forms neural pathways in our brain which then connects that fear with an event or with something. Mm -hmm. And so when we start to change our thinking, then all of these neurons start firing in our brains. And eventually, if we continue thinking in that same way, we will form new neural pathways. And when we don't give as much attention to the fear, the old neural pathways will start to break down. It's one of those analogies, you know, that we hear, use it or lose it. Right. And so if we don't use it, we lose it. And that's a really good analogy to use when we're talking about neuroscience and neuroplasticity. If there's a thought pattern that doesn't serve you, stop using it, and then you will lose it over time. And that's a good thing to lose because you want to recreate something different. I love that. I love that. I hear so many times, I mean, when you see pictures of the brain and all those little nooks and crannies and crevices, you know, I like to think of those as those little neural pathways of the, all of those little messages, that internal dialogue that you're, you know, talking with yourself and that you can, like you said, you can create, you know, new grooves in the brain mm. by what we're telling ourselves. I love that that is possible. How do you feel about those pathways, those neuroplasticities of them being perceived on something that is real or not real? Well, reality is subjective and that's really dependent upon our experience and our perception mm -hmm. in any given moment. And so, you know, reality is one of those things that it's like truth. <laughs> truth is relative as well. You know, depending upon who you talk to and their religious beliefs and their experiences in life, et cetera, et cetera. And so when we talk about reality, it's very much like truth and time. It's highly subjective. Right. Depending upon people's experience. Right. Mm. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you do a lot of counseling with couples, right? I do relationship coaching as well. Yep, definitely. Okay. So when we talk about, you know, truth and reality, mm. that's a really great concept to take because, you know, when there's an argument or a situation that has occurred, you've got, you know, one person's version of the story, another person's version of the story. And, and the truth is probably somewhere in between. <laughs> well, you know, the truth is subjective. And what we have to realize that is that two people in a relationship will perceive the same situation differently. Yes based on their subconscious beliefs, values, and paradigms. Mm -hmm. And so it's really about in, when you're in relationship with someone and there's a situation that needs to be resolved, it's more about understanding how to relate to the other person and understanding that they will have a different set of values, beliefs, and paradigms to you. And it's finding a connection somewhere in there between the two of you where there can be some common ground to find a way forward. Absolutely. I love that. So let's get into talking about, you know, this toxic masculinity. Mm. What is happening in today's society with, you know, that this word even exists? Yeah, that's a big rabbit hole, that one. We can, <laughs> we can, it's a very deep rabbit hole, that one. I don't like to, you know, I don't like to get into big discussions about, you know, feminists and no. and the real toxic third wave and fourth wave feminists that we're seeing come through. But suffice to say, there's an agenda there, which could be seen as a left-wing agenda, which is really about trying to stamp out a fictional patriarchy in our society. Okay. And so where toxic masculinity came about is 
as a result of that. Okay. And so when we see things in the media, when we see men behaving badly, it's been coined, the term has just been coined somewhere that it's toxic masculinity. And the problem that I see with that is that the message that it sends to men and just as importantly boys is that there are attributes, characteristics and virtues of you that are toxic. And so when we're talking to men, that's then, and when we see this in media, we, you know, we see men trying to step up and trying to be of contribution, trying to embody confidence and strength and self-assuredness and getting in touch with their core values and having a well-defined purpose, trying to really step up in certain ways in leadership roles. And they find that they're being shut down and repressed in many different ways. And so I just think there's a real agenda behind all of this. I don't want to comment on what that could be, but <laughs> oh, it's, I like it's really rabbit holes. <laughs> yeah, it's a very deep one because you can talk about mm-hmm. feminism, you can talk about masculinity, we can talk about, you know, I'm, I can give my opinion. I don't believe toxic masculinity should be and is a thing. Mm-hmm. I just think that there is unintegrated aspects and disembodied aspects of the masculine within men, or there's embodied and integrated aspects of the masculine. I don't think that anything within the masculine or anything within the feminine is actually toxic. I just think that there are different levels of awareness within each person and that they display themselves or they're demonstrated in behaviours that are either positive or negative behaviours. Right. And so I don't think it's helpful to call masculinity or femininity anything. I mean, I've seen so many representations. There's toxic masculinity, there's conscious masculinity, there's creative masculinity, there's all these different, you know, words that we put in front of the word masculinity. Sure. I think it's to kind of try to make people feel better about masculinity because they're being told that it's not a good thing and that's not helpful in our society to, you know, give the impression or the indication that who a man is at his deepest level is somehow wrong. Right, right. Absolutely. And do do you think that we're getting away from, you know, for me, I started off our podcast before we hit record in prayer and, you know, and part of being Christian or for me anyway, is that, you know, I honor my husband and I, I'm not, you know, there's a lot of words that are called subservient to the husband, but are we getting taken away from the traditional roles? You know, we talked in the beginning of the podcast about the hunter and the man going out and providing for the family. And, you know, with this wave of feminism and, you know, the women are equal and we can do all things that men can do, is that taking away from that man's ability to feel like he can provide? Yes, I believe that that is the case. I mean, I'm really not an advocate of, you know, the old-fashioned 30s, 40s and 50s housewife and the dynamic within relationships back then Mm -hmm. because I think that it was more of a matter of women having to be subservient and submissive in many ways. And I don't think that's healthy because women and that real powerful and beautiful feminine within women is really wonderful. Mm -hmm. It's really wonderful. And I think that when you've got a woman who is very strong within her feminine and a man who's very strong within his masculine, I think that's a beautiful combination if we work together in healthy ways to create a wonderful relationship and a perfect example for our children and to contribute at a higher level in society. But what we've seen is, and and I I don't like going back to this, but it, it does come back to this, 
we've seen feminism just go out of control. It started out as something good and it was about, you know, women entering the workforce and voting, et cetera, et cetera. That was all good stuff. And I think it's just gone way to the other side now where it's become about really trying to suppress men and masculinity in men. And so in answer to your question, I think roles are incredibly important Mm -hmm. and well-defined roles within relationships are just as important. And when those roles within relationships have become blurred Mm -hmm. over the last decade or two, that's when we found divorce rates have skyrocketed Mm -hmm. and relationships feel like they're becoming more disposable these days for people. Yeah. And that's not good for society and it's not good for people and it's not a good example to set for our children as well. And so I think if we start to think about some of the aspects that used to work in relationships when divorce rates were very low and we did have well-defined roles within relationships, I think it would be helpful to start considering what aspects of them we could bring into modern society to help create a more balanced environment within relationships and for children. Right. Right. Well, and, you know, I just see this with so many of our young children today. I really, what keeps resonating with me as we've been talking more and more, and and I know, you know, what the topic is supposed to be about, and I apologize, I'm digressing onto other things, but we're such a society of me, me, me. Mm. We're such a society of, you know, What's in it for me? How am I going to benefit? And I want it now. You know, there's no patience. And so when you talk about my clearly defined purpose, does it have, how am I contributing back to society? That's just so weighing on my heart right now tonight. You know, as we talk, I think that's such a powerful way to look at your actions, words, and deeds. Mm. I totally agree. I totally agree. And if we sort of shifted our thinking a little bit into more, as you were talking about before, more of a servant mentality, I think we would find that a lot of the actions that we take, the way that we think and how we feel, Mm. some of our behaviours would be very different because you're right, we do live in a society of it's just all about consuming Mm -hmm. one thing or another. Mm -hmm. And also instant gratification. You talked about that before. We want everything right now. And it's this society of instant gratification. And so when we relate that back to relationships, if we're not getting what we want right now in our relationship, the way that we want it and how we want it and when we want it, then it's like, well, this relationship doesn't serve me anymore. It's not working for me anymore. So I'll start to leave the relationship. It's disposable. Yeah, it's just we live in a disposable society, which is driven by instant gratification. And as a result, relationships suffer. Right. Well, and I do like, you know, this quote that I read at the beginning of the podcast, and I'm going to read it again, if that's okay with you, Mm -hmm. because it ties into what we're talking about right now. You need nothing else, but what you already have inside you to create the life you desire. And I think that's so, so powerful because the choice is yours. Mm -hmm. The choice is yours to make. Are you going to turn inward and do the right thing? Yeah, we all have choice in every moment. And that's about taking 100% ultimate responsibility for the fact that we do have the choice and making a good choice in that moment. And when we start to understand that every choice that we make in every moment is working to create our future, Mm -hmm. then we have to think about what kind of future do we want and what kind of future are we creating in every moment? Yes. I love that. So as we're getting ready to wrap up here, Michael, what you've done a lot of work with men and your passion is helping men. What would be some, you know, top three men, if I can leave you with these three thoughts? 
you can create your own reality and change your results. You have limitless potential, which you are yet to realise. And if you start to think with an attitude of getting in touch with core values and having a well-defined purpose, you will actually start to live the life you desire. Mm, That's powerful. I love that. So, Michael, I know we, you know, absolutely want our listeners looking into forging Excalibur, rediscovering your masculinity. This we can get on Amazon. Amazon, yeah. And if any listeners are in Australia, so overseas, you can purchase the ebook and the paperback on Amazon. But if people are in Australia, they're able to purchase the paperback directly through me as well. Wonderful. And we do have quite a few listeners in Australia. So that's a good thing. Oh, good. And the website is michaelloriacoaching.com. And that's L-A-U-R-I-A coaching.com. And they can get in touch with you through the website. Do you have any Through the website. Okay. Yep. Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn as well. So you just search Michael Laurier on Facebook and I'll, I'll be there. <laughs> awesome. I, you know, and I always like to be able to connect in with you. You've got anything in the works right now, anything we should be looking forward from you? Well, for men in Australia, I do actually, I'm in the process of developing a 12-month program, which will launch on the 20th of March this year, and that's Forging Excalibur. So it'll be a 12-month online and in-person immersive kind of coaching experience So there'll be an element which is online, which is monthly, and then there's a few workshops, live in-person workshops and masterclasses during the year as well. And then in the 13th month, it's very exciting, but in the 13th month, there's a week-long retreat where men will, all these 24 or 25 men will come together and we will go on a journey together. And that will be continuing and concluding the journey of coaching over the previous 12 months. And at that retreat, they will actually forge their own sword as well. (laughs) That's awesome. It's pretty awesome. And that'll all conclude with a a beautiful medieval-themed feast on the last night. And then we'll have a knighting ceremony for the people that have gone through the whole 12 months and forged their sword as well. And then those knights will then join me at the round table as knights of the round table. So (laughs) I'm very much looking forward to starting this next month. That is exciting. So are you taking applications for that? Is that on the michaelloriacoaching.com website? Um, it certainly is, yes. Wonderful. And um, well, people can just, people at the moment, because this is the first intake, I really, and in future intakes as well, I'd like to have that personal connection with people. So rather than keeping everything online like that, I'd love for people to send me a private message on Facebook, for instance, okay. or on LinkedIn or on Instagram. And then I'd love to actually chat with these men who are interested rather than just then filling out a form sure. on the sure. website. Yep. That makes absolute sense. Well, that's exciting. We will have to make sure that... And when in March does that launch, Michael? 20th of March. So in a few weeks. And that's when it actually starts or when you're launching it? That's when, it starts, that's when the first intake will actually start it'll be the beginning of the 12 months, but I'll be doing, you know, I don't know when this is going to be released. So I'll be taking an intake every three months after that. Every three months. Okay, good. So that's my thing. I don't want to miss any deadlines with that. Okay, great. Wonderful. Well, Michael, we covered a a lot of ground tonight and I'm so appreciative of your expertise in this area and your experience and you know, really bringing light to these three things to create a life of mastery. Thank you for your time. Any final thoughts you'd like to leave our listeners with? 
taking 100% ultimate responsibility is the way to a inspired life of mastery. That's perfect. That's perfect. Thank you. <laughs> That's all for this episode of The Toxin Terminator. And we hope we've helped you remove the hidden toxins in your life for renewed health. If you're looking to continue your journey towards full rejuvenation, reach out to Amy directly by visiting amycarlson.com for your own one-on-one chat session, as well as your free toxic risk assessment. That's A-I-M-E-E carlson.com. And remember, you are just one small change away from renewed health.